You are listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month. You may notice in this episode, we have some echo going on. That's because I had problems downloading the recording from our hosting site. But I still find this topic to be of utmost importance to myself and hope that you will all choose to listen in anyway, and I think you'll gain a lot from it. Thank you. First Chronicles 28, 11-20 in the New American Standard Bible reads, Then David gave to his son Solomon the plan for the porch of the temple, its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat, and the plan that all he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, and for all the surrounding rooms, for the storehouses of the house of God, and for the storehouses of the dedicated things, and for the divisions of the priests and the Levites. The verse goes on, talks about utensils, tables for bread, lamps, all kinds of stuff. At the end, we skip ahead to verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. The New Testament makes clear that we no longer need to worship in this temple that we're reading about here and that our bodies are now the temple of God. So, Brandon, is there any way in which the church can still learn about the importance God placed on David in the scripture concerning the details of the temple down to like the lampstands and the bread tables that's meaningful for us today? I think if anything, just going off the top of my head, I would say this shows that there is a level of intentionality by God. If he's going to get down to the nitty gritty specifics of lampstands and utensils and all these other intricate details, you know, or even go to like when the tabernacle is constructed in Exodus, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of detail and that detail comes from God. And I think that shows, I think that shows that there's a level of intentionality by God in the construction of the temple into even the fine details that for us today, we can maybe take that as we need to worship God with a high level of intentionality, not with a casual response to him, but to seek to intentionally respond to him with every aspect of ourselves. Hmm. And as we are the church together, is there a level of intentionality that needs to go into our unity in the same way you'd say? Yeah, I mean, to gather together across denominations, that takes intentionality. You know, that's something we're not prone to do. That is, we like our camp. And so to even bridge the gap to come together for a joint worship service of whatever, that would take a high level of intentionality. Yeah, or a whole church conference. Oh, Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, the Round Table Edition. Guys, it, it is my, my greatest esteemed honor to work with some of my favorite podcasters and ministers just out there, period. And I get to do it with the greatest co-host to ever, to ever walk the planet. It is said his voice is so powerful that with a still whisper, he can stop a train. And if you're riding a train right now, notice it's stopping an unusual amount. It's because he wants to make sure you have enough time to finish this episode. Also, he's going to be a little bit late. But I'm going to go ahead and introduce to you our guest. We have your favorite Lutheran pastor, the one and only Pastor Will Rose. And with him, your favorite home church leader, your favorite uh, host of Buddy Walk with Jesus, the only host of Buddy Walk with Jesus, Joe Day. And, and your favorite traveling preacher and the host of... My seminary life, the one and only Brandon Knight. 
Guys, welcome back to the show. I like how Joe is the favorite host of Buddy Walk with Jesus, but I'm just the host of my seminary life. Just wanted to point <laughs> yep. that one out. Thanks yeah, for having us. That's back. good. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> well, you're already a favorite traveling preacher, darling. Can't be <laughs> multiple. <laughs> That's too much. Just oh, one at a time. Just one only time. Only Furious One gets that honor. Uh, TJ, our, our audience wants to thank you for stopping their train frequently enough for them to hear the whole episode. Nice. Oh, they're welcome. Yeah. yeah. With that being said, guys, today's going to be a fun one. I get to nerd out on one of the things that I really like to talk about, church architecture. How does your church building in the interior of your church how does it speak to what you prioritize as a church? And should we even have buildings? It's going to be a fun one. We have a Lutheran pastor with two beautiful church buildings and a home church leader who doesn't have to use the building at all. Brandon, who travels to all kinds of different churches, might have all kinds of different stories to tell us. And TJ, the wise stuff is all. It'll be fun. And oldest. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've determined it's now Canaan. He's like 400 years old. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The direct descendant of, uh, I don't even know. Who did we decide you were the direct descendant of? I don't know. Yeah, me Not my actual yeah, forefathers. Nope. <laughs> Remember to rate the show. Uh, Spotify has just made it super easy. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podchaser. That helps a lot. And stick around, you know, in the long term for more information about our upcoming conference, Every Tribe, Denomination, and Tongues Conference. Details coming soon. Yeah. And uh, also remember, we are running a special campaign right now. We reached $20. We're trying to get to $100 to start our new website. So if you want to help with that, there's links to merch, ways you can give one time or sign up for Patreon, all in the show notes. But I know what you're really here for. You're really here for the greatest sign of unity, which, of course, is silliness. It's my favorite form of unity. And today we have a fun one. I was hoping Father Jonathan would be here because he's already taken uh, Radagast as his wizard. The question is, if you were a wizard, which wizard would you be? Doesn't matter what it's from at all. Uh, TJ, do you want to go first on this one? I would love to. Middle Earth. <laughs> that is not like a wizard. Was <laughs> yep. Well, Mid- Middle Earth is one. a wizard? Has to choose one wizard? I just thought we were like, you know, in the universe. Of. Yeah, no, no, no. You have to choose a wizard. You Gandalf. would be if you were a wizard. Gandalf? All right, I'm going to do a deep cut. Uh, we're not going to do any repeats, so no repeats. No one can be Gandalf. Uh, you're not going to want to be mine anyway. I would absolutely be Oswidge from Dave the Barbarian. Yes. That's just, you know, personality fits too well. Uh, Brandon, pick a wizard. Who would you be? I mean, I think most people would, would anticipate me to say something from the Lord of the Rings, but to quote one of the great philosophers, just when you think you have all the answers, I change the questions. My two picks, my top picks, no, just one. <laughs> I, that's the problem. Well, let me finish. They both have magic abilities, but I don't know if they're technically wizards. Well, TJ's the boss. He'll let you know. All right. So, okay, good. I was hoping TJ would be able to tell me. I would choose John Constantine of DC. That's Master of the Dark Arts. We gonna go with it? No. No. <laughs> okay. Well, then there, are, there are wizards in DC. Is the problem. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair arts here. Uh, my runner-up pick would be Jareth the Goblin King, so I could be David Bowie. Counts. Cool. Hey, I'll take that. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, you know what? You know what? I'm gonna make it hard on Joe today. Will, pick your wizard. 
Yeah, I don't know if I'll I'll, I'll pick Joe's pick, but but I, I'm gonna go with the the wizard from the um, the old '80s Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Nice. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right, Joe. Blow our socks off. Which wizard would you be? I am 100% going with Jafar from the Aladdin series. I think Joe won. <laughs> I don't even I know think Jafar is a sorcerer. No, he comes up when you. I I, I spent way too much time on this earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Jafar comes up a lot. Right. Jafar's a sorcerer, but. That's too oh, good. Let's now we're gonna now we're gonna split differences. Let's the difference between a sorcerer and a wizard. What's the difference between a sorcerer and a wizard? Wizards and can are can there be unity between those two denominations? We'll find out. <laughs> but for the real episode topic of today's episode, uh, almost every pastor we've spoken to would say that the church is the people of God. But we often hear sermons about the importance of going to church or being glad to be in the house of the Lord. Can anybody think of any other phrases or examples of times people seem to confuse the buildings we meet in and the church? Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of uh, uh, when parents say you better behave in church or something like that. that that's oh. what you hear a lot of. Interesting. Yeah. Better behave everywhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like we just had um, theology beer camp at my, my church and people were like, can I? Oh, I just said a cuss word. Did, should I not say it in the church or say it? Wait, walk outside to say it. You know, and you're like. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like what inside versus outside, different behavior inside the church. You sit up straighter inside the church because God watches more closely there, whether you're outside or sitting in traffic. He can't <laughs> see me out there, but in here, oh, <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. Uh, I do have one, and that was every conversation that happened in 2020 during the shutdowns. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. there we go. Something about church being closed. Yeah. 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 yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I we we had that phrase. <laughs> we had that phrase. Like, yeah, yeah, we were not. It, the church is not closed. We're just doing it differently. You know. Yeah, that's right. exactly exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So, last roundtable, Josh used church architecture as an example for how different identities and cultures point to God in different ways. Josh, would you remind the listeners what that was about and maybe elaborate a little? I'm going to go on a full rant. And I'm going right. to try and make it quick. But so first, what we were talking about, we were talking about different identities, how our identities change how we worship or affect our worship with God or that kind of stuff. And we decided your main identity has to be as a Christian, but that doesn't mean your other identities doesn't make some kind of impact of how you experience God different. Um, think, you know, whether I worship in Spanish or English, it's going to be different in some way. And I was pointing at how Gothic architecture is using a certain identity, German identity in your architecture to point to God in a certain way. Whereas you also see sometimes where people put the American flag right next to the cross inside the church. And that is a way that we're using the interior of the church to actually distract from our main identity. So there's good and bad ways to do this. That was sort of my point. And um, to, to expand, here are my thoughts. Here's the rant, right? One of the earliest well, first, uh, the verse we used ahead of time was David's temple. David really wanted to be, build a temple for God. It wasn't a command from God that, hey, David, you need to build a temple. It was an expression of his worship that he wanted to build this. And God kind of guided him on the best ways to do that, down to the details. Then you have the church come along. There was no building for the church for a long time. Everyone in house churches. We was a lot more communal. When Christ died, we lost the need to have a temple. So we were meeting differently. One of the first t- church 
home churches that we found is Dura Euros, which was a home that knocked out one of the bedroom walls so that they would have more room so that 70 people could meet in this house church. Really cool. Constantine comes along, Emperor, very tied to the pagan god still. That's when the church started meeting on Sundays because he still wanted to worship the sun. Yeah, we should be meeting on Saturdays. We don't, though. Anyway, he realized all the pagans have these cool buildings and stuff, and he wanted Christianity to become more mainstream. So he started building the church temples, the churches around that kind of thing, which is where you get a lot of pagan practices into church architecture at that point. More on that later, maybe. But when you come to the Middle Ages, it becomes a lot more people wanting to worship God again, and they're trying to find different ways to do this. And someone says, well, a lot of people can't read the Bible, so I'm going to make these stained glasses as graphics of the Bible so they can come in and see the story. They don't have to read it. And you had people talking about Gothic architecture pointing upwards and finding ways to do that in such a way that it's pointing towards and making you think of the heavens. And people were trying to use the things they were already doing to worship God. Um, Think like we do music now, right? Someone will sing and we sing along and experience their art with them as worship. A lot of the thought is they their art was architecture, was building. And when they went into the building, you were experiencing their art with them. And that was a form of worship. Gothic was pointing up. The English built their buildings more to point downwards towards the earth and out towards one another to make it more focused on each other. You go a little bit further, that's where you have the steeple from Gothic architecture, but they wanted churches to look more like a home. So if you see those little brick churches with a simple steeple, it's because they wanted it to look like a home, but still have the steeple from Gothic architecture pointing upwards. And that kind of lasted up until like the 80s, 70s, 80s, and pragmatism became like a huge philosophy, kind of took over the church. And that's where you, if you see a lot of those big metal churches, it happened around this time because the church was obsessed with the only reason for the church is to fit as many people in this building as possible. And once you change that architecture, you'll also see the church starts talking a lot more about how many people go to your church. And that's one of the big things for me is that when you made the architecture about pragmatism, it became about people. How many people do you have? How many numbers do you have? We're starting to get away from that some. And that's where you, just, you have a huge variety of different buildings, some that are just meant to see how many people, some that are centered around a stage, pagan worship kind of stuff of who's performing. We're all focused on that. Um, some that are meant just a house church, no building at all. You have some of the big metal buildings, all about people. You have uh, buildings like uh, Father Jonathan, been on here before, the Greek church, shows a lot of Greek art that's painting these beautiful pictures of Bible stories. I could go on and on about Pastor Will's church. It is phenomenal, but he's here, so I'll let him talk about his church. <laughs> but yeah, the buildings say a lot. The interior says a lot. If your church is designed to bring people to a stage to watch, that's telling people something subconsciously, whether you want it to or not. If the church is just a metal box and all you care about is the people, that's telling people something, whether you want it to or not. There's this subconscious thing that happens with architecture that completely impacts how your church worships and relates to one another. That's my point. Yeah, and I'll add, focus. too, that there's some, yeah, pretty good rant. Like, I, I think, um, but it also goes back to, like, uh, simple Judaism, but also, like, the... the um, the way it kind of evolved into synagogues and, you know, they, and, and where people were gathering in spaces to read Torah. I mean, Jesus gathered in, in synagogues where he didn't go up to the temple for the festivals. They had synagogues in towns mm -hmm. where rabbis and religious leaders were interpreting the law for everyday life and still have a worship life, uh, not necessarily in their homes, but home-like in terms of the synagogue. So I think the church took its lead from that kind of synagogue practice in the early church as well, in terms of where to gather, to hear 
the Torah read and, and the letters of Paul read and, and others to kind of pass along. How are we going to be the community of Christ together? So they had home churches, but they're also that kind of an offshoot of how they did synagogue life together as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So outside of what Josh just mentioned and like the Sistine Chapel in Notre Dame, uh, can anybody think of other examples of how like certain church art structures, statues, uh, say something of God in a positive way from your own churches or any other churches? I can think of one. Yeah. So there's a there's a church called Las Lajas, uh, Las Lajas Sanctuary in Colombia. Gorgeous. Yes. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the story goes, a, a woman was walking her mute deaf daughter through this valley and through a, a great, terrible storm. And they took sanctuary between two lajas, which are just giant pieces of stone, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, the daughter pointed up at the sky and there was a uh, Mary and apparition, apparition of mm-hmm. Mary. And then like 150 years later, somebody was like, that's a great story. Isn't God great? So they built a massive, gorgeous Roman Catholic church right in that spot. And it's, it's like a beacon. Yeah. It is so bright. It's like, oh, here is safety. Here you go. This is where God is, you know, sort of. Just yeah. right smack dab in the middle of the valley. And it's great. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Pastor Will's church, it's very tall. So when you come in, it kind of has that sense of awe. Two of the things that I liked the most about it, though, was they're, I don't, I don't, they're like watercolor looking paintings to me. I don't know if they are watercolor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they show different things, you know, the Trinity, the fish and the loaves, things that I think would, Require people to ask questions about it if they didn't know about it already. And there isn't a stage. The music is on one side. The chairs are around one another. And then he has like a small little altar thing where they speak at. And I'm like, I love that this isn't centered around just one stage where all the performers go. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And there's a local um, artist who's a member of our church who did those panels when they built that church. Uh, Joshua went to our newer worship center. We're a 35 year old congregation and our older building is now our our ministry center with offices and fellowship hall and kitchen and campus ministry center. But then they, they were modeled and built a new worship center in 2005, 2007, 2008. Um, and, and that's where, where our worship takes place. Of course, worship can take place over here in our work in our ministry center and our fellowship hall, that kind of thing. But that's kind of more worship style. But there's a member of our churches and arts who did those kind of um, paintings, which are similar to, you know, that religious, they're not stained glass. We have stained glass in our older building. Um, but, but these panels are religious imagery that points mm-hmm. to certain symbols within the faith, sacramental images, uh, images of creation, images of like, uh, the crown of thorns in terms of the passion of Christ. They're pointing to a part of the story that, so you know when you gather in that space, you're surrounded by the story of faith. And I think that's what kind of goes with the Greek Orthodox and iconography within Catholic churches or Orthodox churches that it, it wants to tell the story. And, and you're right, like it, it emerged at a time when people were illiterate and couldn't read the Bible for themselves. So these graphic novels up on the wall <laughs> are, or in the stained glass were telling the story that they could see and enter into. And, and so I think um, and, then, and then there's a history of, like you said, that story of, of building monuments or church on holy places where they have religious experiences. That happens in the Old Testament and New Testament as well. It's like, oh, we experienced God here, so we're going to erect a, a temple or, or, a, or, a, or, or something in that spot to, to mark it as a holy place because that's where I encounter God, to memorialize it, but also a space where they feel close to God. Not that God can't be other places too, but, but yeah, these spaces end up 
happening and being constructed um, as a way to have a place of heart, to catch your breath, to have Sabbath and um, draw us into the story of, of God's love. I did want to say quickly, um, just because you have a stage at your church or a metal box, like I'm not condemning these things. I'm just noticing that these are what those architectures tend to lend to those kind of things. A lot of times you'll see churches with stages almost working against the architecture where they're constantly bringing people up on stage and seeing how they can involve more people because they're like, well, why aren't the people being involved? I'll say it starts with the architecture. How is your church set up? That's why they're not involved. But you'll see really good churches. People are trying to do well, sometimes just fighting against that architecture. You know, the metal box where it's just how many people can we cram in here? A lot of times you'll have good churches there that are trying to find ways to not make it about the people. But the design was about the people. So you're kind of fighting yourself. But I'm not saying those churches are all bad. Not what I mean. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've, I've got one um, okay. that comes to mind. It's when I was in Italy, um, so many of the churches there. Yes. I, I you know, I, I've seen the Sistine Chapel and I've seen the, um, awesome. the, the uh, Temple of Immaculate Conception and all of the majors. But a lot of the churches around when you are just walking through the city streets are open and people go in and out and it's very much open open worship and the the architecture is all beautiful it's all it's all incredibly breathtaking but the one thing that stood out to me was that there was a palpable energy in there like they like there was just there was something to this Ability for people to come in and out and and you know spend however much however much time they need and all of that and and it's interesting because that all kind of stood out to me being in Italy before becoming a Christian and and you know while while I'm I'm definitely using more assured language now than I would have at the time um, I, it's still that that feeling and energy still stood out to me. And, and it's something that I've that I've I've found interesting as I as I'm older now and and a leader in the in the in the house church uh, system and um, going through the process to become a recognized pastor, you know, by by, you know, legal standards and all of those kinds of things, while having done a lot of the the role already. And, and, you know, I, I probably would have come at this in, in a different kind of posture, a different kind of time. But I've hit this point of you look at those kinds of buildings, right? And you, and you think about how much emphasis was put on the beauty of that building. But then you, te- you start to also consider the, the part of it being open and there being open worship in this building that to Josh's point about not condemning just based off of if you have this thing or if your building happens to fit this particular type of criteria, it really matters what you're doing with whatever it is that that you've built. So it's not as for regardless of whichever um, position that you that you approach this topic from, it's not as black and white as to say, you know, big church lots of stuff, all of that kind of stuff equals you must be doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of this argument will come down to, which I think there are two really good sides on this. And we're probably going to see people disagree well this episode. 
But a lot of it comes down to, yeah, these beautiful buildings and stuff drew people in so that they could hear about Christ. And then the other side being, yeah, you spent a lot of money on something that you could have spent to help people. You know, that's what a lot of these arguments come down to. Um, Pastor Will. Bro, don't, don't, take my, don't take my argument like that. If not, <laughs> not unless you're trying to get this party underway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, yeah, there's sense about uh, being having these buildings open so people can go in and feel the presence of God and be moved to reverence and to desire to grow in their faith and their love of God and, and neighbor. And that is another if they're just museums where people go and, oh, look at the beauty and that's it and walk out. Like, it's one thing that our churches and cathedrals are being turned into museums rather than places of worship. And I think that's the data that's become more and more secularized, that that's what they yeah. more becomes. Like, oh, this is cool because this was, you know, um, built in the 1400s and it's, it's a history piece rather than, oh, and then when they have mass or have worship on Sunday morning, there's like 20 people there. Um, so I, but, you know, when I go to those places, when I went to Iceland, when I went to Greece, when I went to France and went to these places, I, I was, I was drawn in. You're like, yeah, the beauty of this place, the, 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 the generations that it took to build this was in a sense that it did create a sense of awe. So you felt that sense of awe and they took time with it rather than just a quick box, you know, quick, um, Ikea church that you can put together and, <laughs> yeah. and do it. But, but there's a sense of, um, you know, stewardship of, of being drawn. And, I, and I'll share also our experience when we remodeled our ministry center, we had that conversation. You know, it was a million dollars to remodel our ministry center and move the kitchen upstairs. And we had the conversation, why are we spending this money when this money could be used for other things? And and what we we talked about is like, well, this we're not just building it for us. We're building it for generations after us who can, who can use this space, students who would come in this space. And then we pledged to use part of the money that we raise uh, as a tithe to give beyond our walls to our community. So part of the capital campaign was yet to renovate our building, but we're going to take 20% of what we raise and we're going to give to the, the homeless and food bank down the road. We're going to give it to a, a church that may be struggling or to a church that um, is, uh, that isn't as of well mean. So we were thinking beyond ourselves with that, but we were challenged by our members when we were doing it for sure. Yeah. And that's a good question. Yeah. And one one cool thing, too, is uh, at, at his church, they have a student section for people to come in and study. They're used, utilizing some of that space throughout the week for people to have kids to have a safe place to be. And you're, you guys both are right that whenever you have this conversation, a lot of the conversation goes back and forth between should we have the building, should we not have the buildings, what we should be using that money for, all of those kinds of things. Um, by virtue of the type of ministry that my wife and I do, we don't usually spend a lot of time in big, elaborate church buildings. And when uh, well, it's been a couple of months now, we were uh, out of town and we were visiting. And, and the event that we were at, part of the event was held inside of a church. And they, what, what caught our attention was that they had the entire timeline of their church charted out on the wall. And then they also interlaced significant historical events from the world. So this, wow. so this was, there, there was a lot of time taken into trying to display kind of a wide angle view and all of that. And, and that caught our attention. And we got to talking to some of, uh, to some of the uh, officiants and they uh, offered to show us the sanctuary, show us, show us around the building. And she, this, the woman who was showing us the building 
The thing that catches my attention is that she did not skip a beat in anything that I'm about to say. She did not skip a beat. She is talking about how some parts parts of the stage. Um, those of you longer in the tooth in the gig, guys, go ahead and go ahead and tell me what the what the actual word for what I'm thinking of is, other than pulpit. Um, maybe it is just pulpit. Altar, maybe is what I'm thinking of. But anyway, um, there there was these like almost guardrail things around each side of the stage. Tiffany Glass, right? There's a giant chandelier in the entire thing. Like this this place. If you're not, if you can, if you can divorce yourself from all of the feelings, all of the arguments, everything, and you have a couple of church planters in this thing, experiencing this whole thing, if you could separate yourself out from it, it was gorgeous. Everything about that sanctuary was breathtakingly stunning, but I couldn't completely divorce myself from the language that was being used of, of presenting in a very vain way the, um, the, the, the stuff and things in the material aspects of the sanctuary. And so I say all of that to say, I, I, have, I have worked with Will long enough and, and we haven't always seen eye to eye, but I know in his case in particular, I know where he's coming from. But when, when I have, as, as I've gone down this road of, of becoming more, solid in the occupational side of ministry, I've realized that a lot of where I'm, where I'm at is equipping leaders regardless of what their context is. And I, it, it interests me just in a language standpoint. When you talk about people like Will spending a million dollars on his, uh, on the worship center, or you talk about this other this other group that just is just the amount of money in in that sanctuary is is absurd. There's two different heart heart postures to the whole thing, and, and it, it can become easy to devolve the conversation when you're talking about should we have the centers, should we not have the centers. But you can't you can't miss all of the little idiosyncrasies of the language when you hear a person addressed all of the stuff and things of it all, all of the, the, the material building of it all and what it's being used for and all of that kind of stuff. Because as much as us house church people want to have this idea that, uh, you know, up until the 1980s, people were meeting in homes and things like that, that's just not, that's simply not the case. You know what I mean? Like this, there's a long history to this shared space idea and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But yeah, I think I think I say all of that to say that that they're not the same thing, and that just because you spent a million dollars doesn't make it a bad thing. Yeah, and and there's a lot to be said of just like a, how people dress when you know they go to a church building. It yeah. is um, a lot of people, you know, feel like wear everyday clothes so that we're being welcoming. And a lot of people feel like dress my best because I'm trying to honor God. I don't think there's a right answer necessarily. I, I do. I want to get Brandon's take on this though. Um, yeah. So we're, we're talking about just, just the simple, do churches waste too much money on extravagant buildings when they should be spending that money to help people? Brandon, What do you think? Uh, well, to echo what Joe was saying there about the uh, church with the nice chandelier and all this, I interviewed with a church in uh, middle Indiana, Southern Indiana to me, but middle Indiana, uh, think Pawnee, from Parks and Rec, 
Okay. Nice. All right, and yeah. uh, I, during the interview process, and especially during the tour, I do not know how many times I heard the phrase, we have a really nice facility here. I, I, I mm. really don't know. I well, really don't know. Really hospital. That's cringy. And there's, there's this part of me that's like, you know, you, you, answer, you replied like once or twice. It's like, yeah, it's, I mean, because it is. It is a nice facility. That is a true statement. But at some point, it's like, what, what else do you want me to say? Like, yeah, you did. You spent a lot of money and you have a really nice basketball court. Good job. Like, what, what else do you want? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, people who raise this argument of you could have spent that money on something else. I mean, they are correct. The, the church could have spent the money on something else. Part of part of ministry, especially at like this type of a conversation, there's you're having like constant conversations about investment. Investment of time, resources, finances, blah, 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 blah. And saying yes to some things means that you're going to say no to other things. It's really nice to hear that Pastor Will's church was able to find a middle ground answer to some degree of like, okay, we have to we have to spend this money because when you make an investment into a building, you have to upkeep that building. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to work it into the budget to then invest into the community for specific reasons or for in specific ways. So, you know, I think it's a fair argument and I think churches would do better to think in terms of how are we investing into our congregation? How are we investing into the community rather than we need to do this thing because this is what churches do. We have to have a VBS because that's what churches do. We have to do whatever you get. You kind of get my idea. Does that make sense? Getting away from just cookie cutter model and right. really thoughtful discussions about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and when you look at like say like Brandon's gonna say Brandon interviews at a church to become their full time pastor, you know, it, it would be good to look at the budget to see where their priorities are. You look at your checkbook and you look and that what you spend your money on is what you value the most. The same way with church budgets, and so if most of your money goes towards the building, then that's where your value value that building. Um, and yeah, we have um, you know a big part of our our budget is is the upkeep of our, our buildings, but then the other part to make sure that when we're balanced to think about how are people being ministered when they come to our building, what are we doing beyond our walls? And, and the pandemic really forced that too. Like when we couldn't gather on Sunday morning in our building, and we opened up a lot of home church, house churches, and we broadcasted them to their living rooms we did not cease being in the church. And that, that was a, a big thing for us as we just finished remodeling one of our, our buildings. But there was also a culture shift in our building when we renovated the building. Well, when we moved across the street and had a totally different kind of architectural outlook where you have movable chairs, you didn't have stained glass or open windows. You can see outside beyond the world, um, you know, move from like kind of a closed sanctuary with stained glass fixed pews where people knew where they were going to sit every single Sunday. And if the visitor sat in your seat, then you would ask them to move because they're sitting in your seat. That's not very welcome. Right. But now we have a sanctuary where we can move the chairs around. So we've become more flexible. Uh, we look beyond our, our windows out into the world that we're not closed and just seeing ourselves, but we can look into the world. So there's, there was intentionality with the building to help change the culture shift and mindset of who we are in terms of our discipleship and spirituality and our posture in the world as well. Yeah. So Joe, I'm going to throw this to you before I, I let TJ t- take his parts. What went into or, or, you know, maybe it's just as simple as you just didn't do it. But what went into your decision to, to not be in a church building as far as 
doing the home church thing. So I I come from a context where it it was it has been very painfully obvious how much of the stuff that you can have without having God in any of it. It can be God flavored. It can be God painted. You can have the worship songs, all of it, literally all of it. But but it's not and you not need God for any of it. And and then so so you couple that. I have a predisposition to being hyper aware of that. Mm-hmm. You couple that with being spiritually immature. Twenty twenty, the church my wife and I were a part of part of shutting down. The way that shut down, all of this stuff, and then I, I, I as well as the particular way that I read the Book of Acts, mm-hmm. and so there's there's a place in the conversation for a collective meeting ground and all of that kind of stuff. There's also a part of the conversation for nimble church systems that are not dependent to sinking money into a building and and can be more dynamic, more flexible, and and create actual community because that's where a lot of this conversation boils down to. If it's not about you can spend that money elsewhere, it's about how is a group of so many people creating disciples that can create disciples? How is a group of so many actually fostering an environment of community and relationship past Sunday morning, all of that kind of stuff? How are these people doing life together? Mm-hmm. I myself am convinced that a church past a certain size brings great difficulty upon itself in trying to do that. I'm not going to say it can't. I'm not because I've seen churches do it. Yeah. But past a certain size, you have seriously handicapped your ability to be able to do it. Yeah. And that part of part of baked into all of that, at least where we're at currently, is to create, find, go to a place, find leaders, equip those leaders, build, find, find your find your your founding people. You go on, you get to a certain size, you find your you find your leaders, you send them off. It's it's almost like the Bible wrote it that way. Yeah. But th- so, so so to me. This a this area of being able to serve people and create community and all of those kinds of things. It used to be about being being a part of the renegade thing, right? Yeah. I'm everybody who's heard me for more than two minutes knows that I'm a '90s kid, right? Mm-hmm. And and so to me that was it was this anti-establishment thing. It was this it was this rogue thing, and and then it became more about oh, will can be. A, a, a loud voice in a concentrated area. He can he can cast a strong net in a concentrated area. I can move around from place to place to be able to serve different areas and create different systems in different places to be able to serve the individual. You can't do what I do and have the overhead of a building. Yeah, yeah. And, and I have to imagine on the discipleship note, there's some subconscious level of, Going to a church building, you no matter what the church does, no matter how often it's open, you still think this is a Sunday place. Whereas a home, you always have a home. You never think of a, oh, this is only you know a Sunday thing. So I, I do feel like that has a distinct advantage in some ways. So I used to think that way, and and I know I'm very very well aware that if we get into the systematic fallacies of the of the the Sunday morning model 
as taken that direction, we could have a whole on conversation about, about just that. But I have experienced, and this is part of why I feel like it's finally time for me to join the system and, and to, and to become recognized in a more standard way, because I have been shown that pastors that are part of the Sunday morning model are cultivating environments where there's something going on on a regular basis every single day at the building. So it's more about Sunday is kind of like a family reunion rather than the the main event of the week. So I've seen the fact that this can happen. And, and so that's that goes into the nuance of it all where the building itself is only an, an aspect of the conversation. It begs to have this other conversation of where what is the posture of the organism itself? This little pocket of the kingdom, what is what what is their posture and how they treat the building? Yeah. I think you guys would all love my church. Our sanctuary is the basketball court. But <laughs> Uh, in what ways do you guys think churches that choose to have a building could better build their places of worship to lift up other ministries outside of just the performers on Sunday? Kind of a big one. <laughs> I'm going to let other people go first because I feel like I'm very opinionated. Hmm. Brandon, I choose what? you. Da. 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 Um, speaking from just my pulpit supply I have to talk about this from my pulpit supply ministry perspective because I go to on Sunday mornings a pragmatic, non-denominational. Let's just fit in this building as many people as possible. This built this room is built for acoustics, and when at least in my own experience, when we try to do the art element, yeah, that falls flat on its face. It is not interesting whatsoever. <laughs> um, so I have to talk about this from my pulpit supply experience. One way that I would say that you could work on not making it a uh, stage performance is lowering or eliminating the stage altogether part. I prefer reaching in contexts where there is no stage or there is one small step onto the stage because there there's like a duality when you're a pastor or a traveling preacher. Uh, yes, in this moment, I am the shepherd. I am the shepherd of this flock. I am guiding you through the word of God, da, da, da. But in a matter of moments, all it takes is one small step and I am back with the flock because I am still just a sheep in the flock of God, you know? So I think something like that, I mean, that would take ripping out entire fronts of buildings. But, you know, that within my own experience, I prefer that because I am closer to the people. I'm not some high and lifted up. I'm just a dude from the Midwest. There's yeah. nothing special about me. So just like to one small step and I'm right back with the flock, you know, and that's also an advantage towards the house church model. I don't have a house church, but my wife and I do run a Bible study. There are differences. Joe could tell us what those differences are, but when we meet, it is, it is right around dinner time. So there's usually a meal or a hearty snack. We watch three or four episodes of The Simpsons, and then we have a Bible study. And it's it's cozy. It's family time. It's a house together. Joe's losing it because I've said we watch The Simpsons. I, uh, oh, phenomenal. <laughs> I, I, for my two cents, 
I don't like a church that's the biggest room is not the sanctuary. I think that's a big one. That's not fair. Our sanctuary is a basketball court. Ha ha. Get a better chair. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that is one thing that uh, our church started doing, like, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. I'm only 23. I barely remember. But uh, remember, we had a changing of our pastor. And the first thing our new pastor did was take the altar off the stage and put it on the floor. Yeah. And now there's like a little riser there just so everybody can see him. Yeah. But nice. That was a good change. And it was noticeable. Well, yeah. And I'll build off kind of what Brandon says. Like they're, the way people treat church buildings is sometimes analogous is how they treat the minister or the pastor mm-hmm. or the priest. They're set apart and holier than thou and they should never cuss and they should... They're 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 held to a, a different standard than everyone else that's in that room, but you know, um, you know, I kind of bring in Lutheran theology to this thing. But <laughs> Luther's like priesthood of all the believers. Like, there's no difference in us. I'm just called to be minister of word and sacrament. Everybody in that room, the baptized children of God, they're all ministers. They all have their gifts. They all, whether they're an accountant or whether they're setting the altar that day for communion, we all have our gifts. Mine's not better, but I am the curator of. The worship experience and on staff to make sure things run, but also gone to seminary so I can preach the word of God and administer the sacraments. But but I'm no different or closer to Jesus than uh, Linda sitting in the front row or or in the front pew or the back pew. Um, and, and I do think our sanctuaries, you know, when you walk in, they um, they point to they point to like a Where's your attention drawn in there? And where where is that being? So it is, is the cross the central place? Is the stage? But is the stage a stage or is it a place where sacraments are served or the word of God is preached, you know, more of a teaching style or, you know, so I, I think, yeah, you walk in, where where's your heart and your eyesight vision directed towards? And what does that tell you to communicate who God is? And, and what's going to happen in this space as a worshiping community. And I think that's kind of what your buildings, what you want to do and think about when you're creating a worship space, where's your heart and vision being drawn towards? Um, so, yeah, not to, not to overly condemn stages, but I challenge you to find one of those mega church pastors whose ego got to him and had the whole downslide who uh, didn't preach from a stage. You're not going to find it. <laughs> well, as someone in the liturgical <laughs> church, I've known plenty of egotistical <laughs> Lutherans and well, not mega church church <laughs> No, they're not megachurch, but but there's been plenty of downfall of Lutheran ministers who have yeah. pulpits to the side. Plenty of other downfalls. Have, yeah. Pretty of other downfalls. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of one of the big benefits uh, for a lot of people of having a congregational building is being able to use them as you know, like the basis of a food drive. Or some churches allow people to shelter in their buildings who are in need. Uh, there, does anyone have any other like good uses for a church building that can help the community it's found in? Because you know, at, at our church, we have a whole. There's a Hispanic church that runs out of our church when we're not there. We just let them use our church because they didn't have a building. Yeah, I think that's a great example. Personally, yeah. nobody so just used the twice a week. <laughs> yeah, well, three times a week. Yeah, we go to church. Yeah, more churches should use the same building. I do think that's just a good idea. Brandon, is it a good use? I'll let the listener decide. But the uh, there was a church in our area who they had a ministry to the community of running pro wrestling shows 
out of their church. They had a training facility nice. and everything. They wow. would clear out the chairs in the auditorium and set up the ring. So I'll let you decide if that was a good use or not. It brought in the community. They uh, always did not like an invitation or a sermon, but like a, hey, this is other stuff that's going on at our church. They always had a big uh, back to school event for students to get school supplies. So that was like a once a month thing. But I got to move to the Midwest. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Midwest church. <laughs> Turns out. Uh, Joe? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll answer both questions together. It's something that, that, that church buildings can do. Uh, I'll partially echo some of what a couple of you guys said. Um, you know, a lot of the time when, when we have service, you know, there is a portion of it where Sometimes there's a meal involved. There doesn't have to be. I'm one of those Christians that believes that there doesn't have to be a meal involved. It's fine if there is, but that's not like some kind of holy tenant. Um, but there's a communal sense to it. You know, there is not a single person who is elevated to to that sort of even even a little bit like not. You know, and yes, I understand the natural argument is you can do that in in a smaller room of people. Yeah, I get it, but I I challenge I, I challenge more more pastors to try it out. Get out from the pulpit, get among your people, stand among your people in a way that doesn't have people's eyesight going upward in any way, shape, or form. Mm. We live we live in a day of audio. Everybody, you you yeah. can get seamless audio in your living room. Forget about in a church in a church building, especially if you're operating with a budget. You 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 can have excellent sound system for dirt cheap. So no, that uh, that people don't need to see you to be able to hear you. And 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 that that sort of style, there's a there's a stereotype, right, of a certain type of church that meets in a basketball court or meets in a community center or meets, you know what I mean? Like that's that sort of thing. I'm, I, before, long before I was a Christian, I, I was a business owner. Um, so I am of the opinion and I'll just throw this little spicy nugget out, th- out there and then completely ignore it. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I think that there are tons and, and literally tons of ways for a church's operating budget to not come from tithing. And I think for a lot of churches of certain sizes, they're they're irresponsible by trying to make their operating budget come off of the tithing. We did a whole episode on how the tithing, whether or not it's biblical, and how much you should actually be tithing. It's like twenty seven percent. You guys should check that out. I'll put it in the show notes. It's a fun conversation. It's one hundred. Yeah, but it's all over. <laughs> but even past the even past the dynamics of what is a tithe, what is not, and all that kind of stuff, there is a there is a logistical conversation to be had about that. But it goes into the spirit of taking this space and having it be multi-purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Where I start to, where you start to lose me is I, I'm, I'm all for the physical location if it's, if it's actually serving the community. If all it is is an amphitheater for the guy in charge to be, to be heard once a week, then, then I'm sorry, but you've lost me. That's that. This is, this is where a lot of that same spiciness that, that, that a lot of you guys that have heard me speak in the past will expect to come out of me is, is this idea of 
if we're just dedicating this space to hear one guy talk once a week, then what in the wide world of sports are we doing? And that doesn't, I don't care if you've spent $2 million. I don't care if you've spent $5 million or 100000 I do not care. It is a hard posture. Thing. Mm. And so being able to have a space that maybe, maybe it's the church that is established and is actually a church and they are sizable enough that they would benefit from having a single meeting location. And you open your doors to them to be able to use the, use the space when you're not using it. Maybe in TJ's case, you know, you have youth sports there or something like that. You have these different uses for the area. And if you have it designed where it is a communal location you lend yourself to that ability. You don't have to be a room of 10 people in order to have more of that community nature to it. You know, just even, even looking at the way that Jesus taught, the way that Jesus taught is not the same as, as how we situate pastors in America. It's just not. Yeah. And I think that bears consideration. You know what I mean? Again, just getting lost in the should we, should we, not all that kind of stuff. That That is not, that's only such a small fraction of the conversation. But but when you get into all of, like like I said, what are you using this space for? Is it lying dormant six out of the seven days? Or maybe you have a Bible study there on Wednesdays or something like that. Is it just laying dormant for more of the week than it's got people in it? If so, I don't know. It, it seems, it seems like there's better uses for the space. So that's my spicy bit. I got it out of, I got it out of my system. Um, yeah. Yeah. Real quick, real quick. <clears throat> I mean, that was a conversation when we remodeled our, our building too. We, we added showers because, um, we knew that there may be a, a time when we might be a shelter for those who are fleeing the coast from a hurricane or on cold nights where our homeless shelter is overrun with homeless people. So we're like, we may, we may need these spaces. And then, and then, you know, as, as Joshua said, our campus ministry center is open 24 seven mm-hmm. for our, our students who want to come and have that space to stay. And I think our, and, and I think churches that, that are aging or don't have as many young families or, you know, there may be a heyday when they are more active during the week, but they're only open on Sunday because that's the only thing that they can do or afford. You know, there's one thing to be said to think through about what they're doing in their community. But I think that's the question. It's like, what are, how is your community, how is your building and your church space being used for your community? Um, and I think another aspect for me that I understand as a, as a pastor of, of people who gather here who are like alpha male and females in their jobs and they're running, you know, busy all day long, taking kids care, taking kids there, working, you know, 60 hours a week, you know, on Sunday morning for a couple hours, I want them to have a space where they can gather to catch their breath. Breath. They can be drawn into the presence of God and be intentional thinking about God. And that might be their only space, whether it's like going to a camp or going to the beach to, for vacation, you a place to recharge. And if that's, if, if our space is a place where people can come, feel the presence of God and catch your breath, then, then it's it's worth it. And I think it's something to be said over COVID too, where our homes were turned into places where we work. Our homes, that blurred line of home and workspace, you know, it's also nice to, to have a home you can go home and rest and I don't work there. My office is not at my house because I don't want to do work. I shouldn't do work. I should go be with my family and cook and, and be with that. So there's a, I, I leave the house to go to work. So there's a boundary and clear line of, of like work life, personal life. And I think, 
perhaps, you know, people might want a space that, you know, homes could be a place of worship and devotion and, and community build, of course, but then, you know, maybe, maybe our church could be a place where people, they're, they're going six days a week and they want to have that Sabbath where they can go and gather in church and just catch their breath and, and, and rest and actually have a, have a Sabbath. Okay. So we talked about some good uses. Joe started to get it. One of the bad uses of if it's just an amphitheater twice a week. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this to Brandon first. Now I've heard churches that are used from everything of uh, shelters to voting booths for state elections. Uh, I've seen, I've heard of a church that has a jail cell in their basement in case the police is overrun. It's crazy. It was like in Oregon or something, but Brandon, what's the line? What are, what is the line of, this is not appropriate for a church to be used for anymore. I mean, it's subjective. I would Paintball. say paintball. <laughs> there you go. Great example. That's the line. That's, That's it. the line. <laughs> if it turns into a paintball arena, like in community, then you've, you've lost it. Um, yeah, good episode. Those are the best episodes. Um, no, I think with um, the line for how the church building is being used, we talked about this a little bit in uh, my class I just finished on leadership in seminary. It came up in one of the books about, uh, he talks about how churches need to offer as many options as possible for people to, uh, services to attend, ministries to be a part of, because people like having options, people like, and all this. And as somebody who occasionally reads psychology articles and also worked in retail for almost 10 years, I can say that people absolutely do not want more options in their life. <laughs> options create FOMO. It creates fear of missing out when in reality, you just, just A or B, just A or B, you know? So I think A line would be going back to what I said earlier about investment. Um, nobody really likes, really shouldn't think of pro, uh, programs and ministries exactly like that, but just for lack of a better word, thinking about like, are you, Offering things for your church to utilize your space well and to make sure that it's not just an amphitheater being used twice a week. Or do you just have stuff for the sake of stuff, you know? Mm, or yeah. even in this book, which I'm not going to name, partially because I can't remember the title of it, but also because I didn't like this part. Uh, <laughs> competition among churches, like the exact opposite of what you're trying to do here, guys, of like... Offering stuff so that way you look better than the other church down the road, which I understand wanting to offer a ministry opportunity to your community that is a need that's not being met. But to have that heart posture of let's do this because church A down the road doesn't have this. So let's try and <laughs> capitalize yeah, off of that. Yeah, that was this same church that I talked about earlier that I interviewed at. That kept talking about their facility, they kept asking me, it was for a youth ministry position. Um, and they kept asking me questions of like, how would you make our youth group different in the community? Or, you know, what are some interesting things that you would bring to the table? All that. And it's it, like this question kept coming up in different ways. And I'm like, why? I'm thinking to myself, why does this keep coming up? And I happened to glance out the window and saw the giant Assemblies of God church right across the street. So my assumption is that they wanted to know how I could make the youth group different and noticeable because there's competition, quote unquote, across the street. So 
That was a lot of words. I will summarize it this way, that the line is, why are you offering this? Yeah. Yeah. McDonald's Burger King has breakfast, so Wendy's has to, too. Right. And, you know, a neighborhood's homes, it's not like there's competition with neighbors and yards and your what your house looks like compared to your other house. You know, the human condition of comparing yourself to the neighbors down the road is a big part. You know, there's, there's a commandment about that, too. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. But as a, as a loyal Chipotle employee, Brandon, when you mentioned uh, less options is better, there's a reason we have less options than Moe's. I promise. It's time to do breakfast then. But Moe's is breakfast. Absolutely breakfast. Not. I'm not opening before 1045. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Will. People already eat it for breakfast. What? I don't. I don't, just, don't have a line at 1045. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> Pastor Will, what, what is a. Joe gave us amphitheater. Brandon gave us competition. What is a bad use for your church space? What is something that's like the line too far for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, you know, when you see it, like, I think when it matches, we, we, you know, when, when an outside person wants to use our building or we want to use it for something, we always go back to our mission statement, vision statement, core values to look at, like, does this match up with that? And, and I think that's, that's what it is. If you're doing it, um, you know, just to do it, to keep up with down the road. I, yeah. I mean, it, for me, I'm, I don't want to do things just so that we can be busy. Look, busy Jesus is coming, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want us to do it with intentionality. And, and my, my goal is not to have activities and things happen at the church just to make people's lives busier or to compete with, oh, you're giving too much time to your kids, soccer, gymnastics, swim team, then you should be here more. So we're going to do those things. I mean, yeah, does that match up? Are we are we helping people thrive and, and grow in their faith? Um, that's what I look at. So I can't think of anything specific right now. I mean, we just had theology beer camp at our church. People would be like, what? Why are you having beer camp? Or or what the things that are going on? Should the church be doing those things? People are even asking, how'd you get your church to agree to do some of these things? I was like, well, you know, uh, we open our doors to, uh, you know, uh, the spiritually and congregationally homeless uh, so they could have a safe place to wrestle with ideas and questions. And I thought that was right in our core values of of helping people love God and love neighbor uh, in a deeper way. And yeah. 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 So, and different churches have different stances on alcohol and stuff. And sure, sure. Lutherans are very okay with it. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, just like you were talking about like with your vision, the same thing's true of virtual space, actually. It's a lot, not something not a lot of people think of, but with our podcast, TJ. Actually, had to do this a lot earlier on. Of yeah, but what's that have to do with church unity? Why? Why are we doing this? Our thing is church unity, and and that's something we really have to think about. Even with these roundtables, you know, it's it's helpful that we're all coming together, and it's something we're doing specifically because it shows a home church guy, a Lutheran guy, a I don't know Baptist non denominational guy, Brandon, the thing, you know, whatever God's Pentecostals, and we're coming together to discuss the thing to see what commonalities we have. But there is a level where these roundtables might not have anything to do with church unity. And we have to constantly be reevaluating how are we using our virtual space. It's true. I had to stop Josh a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, with true. all that we just discussed in mind, what would your ideal church build look like? Would you prefer a home church that just supports its community financially or a mega church that can house, you know, 6,000 people with a, you know, emergency happens? We're going to go. From Will to Joe to Brandon. Will, is your ideal church your church? Oh, I, I love our space, but I'm, I'm going to tell you now, I, um, I, I've always dreamed of, of opening 
uh, church or starting a mission plant on the beach called Open Air Lutheran Church, where we just gather on the beach on Sundays and not have a building, but but we worship on the sand uh, and, and then surf after. So there there you go. And when it's rainy or when it's cold, we gather in people's homes or a coffee shop or, 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 a, or a brewery. That That's I would I would love to do that. And so. I've, I've even planted that seed with my bishop to say, hey, if there's any idea to do that, I, I would love to start the mission church. But I do love my church and I love this space. I don't see myself living anytime soon in case any parishioners are listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, Joe, what's your ideal church build? Um, I, I enjoy the aspects of being able to have a conversation Um with people to be able to have more intimate um, connections. So yeah, there is an aspect of enjoying that, that aspect of the house church. But I found that for me, it's, it's that, that again can happen anywhere. That's not something that's reserved specifically for houses. So it's any place that invites authenticity in conversation in a way that doesn't idolize the pastor or create some kind of, of false dynamic. Mm. I thought you were going to say like, how's moving castle? <laughs> how's moving church? Yeah. So uh, Brandon, what is your ideal church build? What does your build look like? Not my current building. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little torn on this because I, there are some, church architecture aesthetics that I really do like. I do mm-hmm. like the um, high ceiling with the stained glass. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've preached in those spaces before that, and they put me in a more worshipful mindset. So good job, mission accomplished. Uh, or like the little white New England chapel. I would yeah. love to preach in one of those sometime. Again, just more so because of the aesthetic than anything else. But I think like the ideal, ideal scenario is one that keeps coming up of like this little intimate gathering space, not about the really big ones. I think I I don't serve. So mine would probably look more like (laughs) the coffee shop, like the bookstore with the coffee shop inside. We would have the coffee shop space to gather. Um, although that would mean we would have to forego watching The Simpsons, which is, oh man, you know, that's kind of hard. But uh, but yeah, no, I think somewhere somewhere in between where there's a little bit of church building beauty, but also not forsaking the community aspect. Because yeah. Joe's right. At some point, there are big churches who figure it out, but at some point, at a certain size, it gets real difficult to make disciples authentically. Hmm. Can I can I do mine? Uh, yeah, sure, Josh. I like this exercise. I, I'm going to pretend like we have unlimited funds for this. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's downtown. It's a huge campus. Uh, looks very Greek architecture, a lot like Father Jonathan's church. Um, to the extent, you know, like when you go to different places in Disney, like when you go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you can tell you're in a different place. I want it to feel like that. You can tell you're somewhere else. I want the details are important for that. Stained glass everywhere. Very important. Sanctuary is not the biggest room. It is a room with chairs just in a circle for us all to discuss. There's also a library, which is where a lot of the discipleship and stuff goes on. Maybe we do have a coffee shop. There will be a lot of different rooms with different functions. There won't be a room at the center. It'll be a campus, not a building. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. 
Interesting. Interesting. Also, small garden in the middle, I think. Yeah. That way there isn't a building in the middle. And I can have a garden. Prayer labyrinth. Have a prayer yeah. labyrinth. Prayth. Prayer so labyrinth. You, you, there we go. You do like Perfect. the Pentagon does. Yeah. The Pentagon just has a hot dog stand right in the middle. Ah, genius. A garden with a hot dog stand. That's what's in the that's what That's what's in the middle of the Pentagon, by the way. It's a hot dog stand. Perfect. TJ, do you have a do you have an ideal build? No. All right. I'm here for God, baby. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. So uh, that being said, uh, we like to end our episodes asking people something practical our listeners can do. And that's hard with today's subject. But uh, <laughs> is there anything concerning our church buildings or use of our buildings or, um, you know, maybe just art in general that regular churchgoers can do something about so it's not just a pastor problem, or is this just a pastor problem? Brandon. Burn it down. No. <laughs> Be the change you want to see in the world. All right. Be the change. Just get sued. <laughs> Be the change. Michael so Jackson a practical, a, with me. a practical step. I guess I'll just keep going back to the thing I've talked about several times over. Of why are you doing the things that you are doing? Ask those questions. Do you actually need all of these ministries? How much money do you actually need to invest into your building? Obviously, if you're going to have a building, you have to keep up with it. The roof's leaking. Got to get that roof patched. Got to pay the power bill. Got to pay the power bill. You know, but ask ask more questions than just, okay, this is what we do because we're a church and this is what churches do. Can I piggyback off of that? Create the environment that says that that's okay, right? Yeah. Like there's there's a dynamic to the office of pastor. The 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 yes, there is a measure of trust that you put in the person that is in that role, and so on and so forth, right? But there's there's a there's a very real issue of this of that be not being not okay to ask questions like. How else are we going to use this? What else are we going to do with this? Are we doing the right thing? And all of that. And just because it's not coming from the, uh, let's say, an an elder, um, doesn't mean that it's completely null and void, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, Will, I think you already said your answer earlier, but you might have something different. It just had a congregation member literally decorate the church. (laughs) If you missed it, you want like 40 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think there's also the aspect of like, you know, I'll hear member my members, long long term members would say, like, we want new people, new families, we want people to come in, we want it for visitors, and then when they do come and they do something a little different with the village a building or move something or you know, a kid knocks something over, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're hurting the building, what are they doing? Or we want more people to use the building during the week and and we bring outside groups in, they're like, They didn't put the chairs back where they were supposed to be put back and I'm like, Well, so what? They were here. They use it. We can put the chairs back. You know, that that kind of stuff. It's like, don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. If you want the building being used, then don't complain if it gets used and things right. break or get wear down. They're going to get wear down because it's being used. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hmm. So, what would the ramifications be in the world if uh, we all did all of those things? Can we? I think you see, I, I think you'll always see mis, misappropriation of the concept because that's a uniquely human issue. But I do think that it will start to present something different than than what is most commonly accepted. I think you, you start to reevaluate the culture a little bit 
when when you start to do something that really is a a step in a different kind of direction than what you know because there there is a there is a level of of tropeness if you will a, a level of stereotype to what um to what will said but just because it's a stereotype doesn't mean that it's that that it's false you know what i mean so so you start to display something that that will hopefully change culture yeah and i, I want to say have these conversations with leaders at your church if you're just you know not a leader of your church they're not afraid to have these conversations usually and just you know do it don't be anyway. like oh why are we wasting our church's space you know don't don't come to them like that but say hey have we thought of other ways we can use this space you know try to have yeah. a genuine conversation with people usually gets you further than not having conversation yeah hey does anybody use the space tuesday evening and then go out and look at other churches and see what they're doing and, and respect their space and, and have them tour people are proud of their right. homes and and their gardens and their yards and when they come over they want to show you you know i Joshua came to my house and was like, hey, check out my nerd shelf. Go look, go look, at, look at my graphic novels. And you're proud. So when people come to your, hey, can I take a look at your church? Can you give me a tour? And, and they value that space and what they do in that space. And it's, it's part of their spiritual home. And so get out and look at the different architecture and and uh, be open to what they're trying to communicate and, and how they're expressing God or articulating God and faith in, in those spaces throughout the week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So before we get into our outro, uh, we like to get into our God Moments segment. We just take a moment to share what all God's done for us recently by sharing a blessing, a challenge, a moment of worship, whatever it may be. And I always make Josh go first to give our esteemed guests and myself as much time as they need to think. Before we started recording this, I was talking to some of the other guys who were waiting on DJ, and uh, I had a great God moment. And then I made a joke about how sometimes I come up with these, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to use that, and then I forget it. And uh, I forgot what it was, so... That's that's just amusing, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I, I've had I've had a lot. I've had a lot. Um, I'm I'm going to use Deep Space Nine, uh, season one, episode twenty. Is going to be my god moment <laughs> uh, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was watching it, and <laughs> and um, it, it was just interesting to see the church division of a different religion, you know, and how the politics of church can be misused so wildly and how that actually does impact our greater culture as a whole. And just kind of reminds me of the importance of what we're doing here of how it's not just we're helping the church. It's also the church politics and some of the bad stuff that happens that we're trying to warn people about actually has negative impacts on the culture as a whole as well. So yeah, deep space time. All right. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, my God moment for the week will be I recently had my my good friend Josh with the good opinions, not the one that's on systematic ecology. Uh, he came over to play Dungeons and Dragons. Ooh, big scary. Uh, but his great friend lives in Virginia. I don't get to see him a lot. And he spent the weekend here and we had a great time. Nice. And I'm just blessed to be able to actually see my, you know, long distance friends. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Joe, do you have a God moment for us this week? Yeah, uh, I just recently started um, ordination pro- the the uh, ordination process, and going through these classes has um, really illuminated me. Illuminated to me the fact that there's a lot of different ways 
to be able to do this and to do this well. And it's really opened up my eyes to some of my insulated thinking that I, that I had going into um, this process. So it's really been cool to be able to get to see things from different angles. Yeah. All right. All right, Will, send us into the outro. You have a god moment for us this week. Yeah, I did a um, wedding on Saturday uh, for a young lady who um, I first met when I first got to Holy Trinity, like almost 11 years ago. So she was in high school at the time and went on a youth trip. And uh, we connected and, and had fun on that youth trip. And then here I am, like 11 years later, doing her wedding and facilitating her wedding with her family. And it was just really awesome to see her grow up over the years and be at that time in her life and have, and sharing that special moment with, with her and her family. So it was, it was really, really awesome to see people grow in these different stages and chapters in people's lives. Nice. That was awesome. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. You can share it with a cousin. If you don't have any, share it with her. Joe's cousin. If Joe doesn't have any, uh, I have a cousin. Uh, listen to our other podcasts that we're all on. Uh, at this moment <laughs> systematicgeekology.org uh, we're on Spotify stuff. I'm plugging all three of our patron shows right now I'm only supposed to do one but we have too long didn't listen to the pet peeves segment and the whole church news they're all good uh, support us on Patreon please and uh, leaving a rating review on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts where Podchaser helps others find the show that's the most helpful for us Spotify also made it really easy to rate a show recently you just click it twice I said our show was thumbs down. Uh, thank you for listening to Culture Podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Coming up, we'll be interviewing Frank Viola again. This time about his newest book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. After that, we'll be interviewing Jackie Wilson, host of Christian Writing and Speaking Podcast. And then we'll be interview Bible teacher and retired pastor, Carrie Green. Then finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us in some capacity. Yeah, he's not. She's not sure about him. He'll, you know, he'll he'll get sure. We're gonna wear him down. Yeah, <laughs> you can't block all of our email accounts. Yeah, it's too easy to make a new. One. <laughs> but thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast. Coming up next. We will be having a special interview with Frank Viola about his newest book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. And remember, check in our show notes and keep looking around for updates on our Every Tribe, Denomination, and Tongue convention, which will feature one of the world's leading Old Testament scholars, Trimper Longman, as well as the founder of the Christian Podcast Association, Eric Nevins, and several other special guests that we're excited to announce soon. Thank you for listening. Oh, sorry guys, one more quick thing. I wanted to recommend a few books for those who are interested in learning more about church architecture and why your church building matters. So first off, check out Why Church Buildings Matter, The Story of Your Space by Tim Cool. Then read How to Read Churches, Dennis McNamara. That has a lot of pictures of different types of architecture in the church. I would also recommend if you want to know some of the dangers of the pagan practices that ended up being incorporated in church interior and exteriors, check out Frank Viola's Pagan Christianity. Thank you all again.